study in Colossians. And so tonight uh, we will be in uh, chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. So you're welcome to turn there in uh, your Bible if you'd like to. And kind of just a reminder uh, that Colossians, uh, this church that uh, Paul's been writing to, he's been giving them instruction on a couple of different things. He's uh, reminded them of Jesus' preeminence over all things, that uh, Jesus reigns over salvation and Jesus will reign over uh, all, all matters that unfold, that are, have yet to unfold in time and in nature and everywhere else, including his uh, return. And then Paul begins to address concerns that are unfolding in the church. He talks about false teaching, and he seeks to uh, give attention to uh, the people in the church knowing Christ and knowing the word well enough to discern when something is true and when something is not. And then he, in our, our focus last time, he, he talks about these dynamics of people in leadership in whatever circumstance and those people who... Uh, serve under those in leadership. And he, he talks about it through the lens of marriages and families and um, in, in the case of uh, his context, masters and slaves. But the big picture he's trying to communicate is that we are uh, called to defer to each other and to serve with one another in all the places that God has us positioned. So whether it be in marriage or as parents or in our work lives or even in the church, we are called to uh, serve together in humility and ultimately for the ends that Christ is calling us to. And then um, finally, from our time last time, he talks about the outsiders, and he really focused in that la- those last few verses about not wasting time but being intentional to communicate the gospel uh, with people from the outside. And then if you were here Sunday, that was really the heart of the sermon. So we talked, we actually broke down verses uh, 5 and 6 in detail about what does it mean to um, have order, but also to uh, have patience, understanding, grace that we need to extend as a church and we need to have extended to us by people from the outside. And so tonight, Paul, uh, what we're focusing on is really the close of this letter. It's the conclusion that he gives to this church, kind of wrapping up whatever it is that he shared. And he'll, he'll in these verses, talk about um, individuals that are serving with him or, or are serving the church in Colossae and how to encourage them and be encouraged by them. And so we're going to look at verses uh, 7 and 9, uh, chapter 4, yes, in Colossians. So he says, beginning with uh, verse 7, Tetricus will tell you all about my activities, again speaking to the church. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So Paul notes two individuals that he sent to the church to communicate uh, a message to them, and that message is this letter. And so what what they've brought to the church is this letter from Paul, and they also have brought their own well wishes, their own greetings. You'll recognize the name Onesimus from our study in Philemon, Onesimus being the slave that um, 
Filetman had, and we were talking in that study in Filetman. If you don't remember it, it's recorded. You can check it out on YouTube. But what Paul was trying to achieve when he was writing to Philemon was uh, trying to communicate how valuable Onesimus was to the ministry because uh, Onesimus had fled, fled from Philemon and had come, became a Christian, served with Paul, and was of value to the ministry. And so Onesimus is that same individual that now Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And he sends these two men with this letter uh, to communicate well wishes, encouragement, and correction, which he's uh, shared so far. And so these two are faithful colleagues of Paul. They know Paul well. They know Paul's heart well. And when they arrived to Colossae, they would have read this letter out loud to the church. And so this is basically a communication from Paul to the church, and these two uh, individuals would have assembled the church. This would have, been a, would have been a house church in the city of Colossae, so they're gathered together, and he's share, they've shared this message from Paul uh, with instruction and as the church asks questions, because they've not only spoken to Paul about bringing the letter, but they've spoken to Paul about the letter. So they may ask questions about what did Paul mean here, what's his intention here, how do we practically act out whatever this instruction is Paul's given us, and these two men would be able to answer those questions to the church upon bringing this letter. And so Paul wanted to ensure that the Colossians uh, gave a hearing to the letter. He wants to make sure that uh, the church is paying attention to what's being said because it was a little challenging, right? It wasn't all just, you're doing a great job, God bless you. It was also, hey, there's some stuff that you got to work out. And so Paul wants to make sure that these men who are communicating this message are received, um, are received well. And part of what allows for that message to be received well is that Paul has a relationship with this church. So I'll ask you this, how important do you think it is when you have a difficult message to share that the folks you're sharing it with know your heart well? How important do you think that is? Very important. And why is that important? Okay, sure, right. Yeah, yeah. Right, because they could read into motive when they don't know the motive. They can make judgments that you know, may or may not be accurate, but that's what, that's what happens sometimes when we don't know people. And so it's important to, to have that relationship to be able to communicate those things. And so Paul is trying to give, um, give that... Uh, message he's bringing, the overlay of his love for this church because they know him, they have a relationship with him, and so they know his heart. Now, even if you know somebody's heart and they bring a difficult message, sometimes that's still misconstrued. Sometimes, right? That could still happen. And so it's important that when, for our purposes, it's important that when we bring a message to someone that might be challenging or we hear a message from someone that might be challenging, uh, that we assume the best. We had a whole sermon series focused on 1 Corinthians 13 where we even if we don't know people's motives, we seek to understand and assume the best of them. But also we're patient. We're patient with the difficult things. Uh, we're not reactionary. You know, we don't respond on the spot when we hear something hard, but we take time to process it and gather an understanding about it. And so with Paul's relationship with this church, this encouraging and sometimes difficult letter he's written that he's communicated 
to the church, he brings, or he sends these men, and he sends these men with some adjectives, which you see in the letter. So this first individual, he talks about them as being a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. And then the second he describes as faithful and beloved. And so he's not just throwing a bunch of like nice religious words on there. He's actually communicating something about these men's character. He's trying to let the church know these two are two you can trust, two that I trust, and true that I care about. And so I'll ask another question in that vein of thought. Why does it matter how we speak about others outside of their hearing? Why does it matter how we speak about others outside of their hearing? And so what I mean by that is, why does it matter if I'm talking about Rick, why does it matter that I'm conscious of the way that I'm talking about that when I'm talking to Dawn about him and Rick's not present? Why does that matter, do you think? So that's one reason, right? Don might tell him. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, why else does that matter, do you think? Yeah, sure, sure. And that's probably one of the key, key issues, right? All these things matter. We want to be clear about what we're saying because of how it can be interpreted. We want to be cautious because they might tell them. Uh, but we also want to be mindful about the way that it shapes people's understanding of a person. You know, there's a lot to be said in the scripture, and you'll hear me be on repeat about this message, because a lot of problems can be solved in society, solved in the church, solved in relationships, if we assume the best of each other. If that actually was true as a functioning, operating principle of our minds, then we would solve all kinds of relational issues all over the place. But the reality is that doesn't always happen. The reality is sometimes we assume people's motives are wrong. Sometimes we're quick to assume that people have bad intentions. And so one of the ways that we help to build walls around that is being mindful that when we're having conversations about people who are not present with us, that we try to be mindful for us and for the people that we're talking to, that we call them up to a standard of assuming better of people uh, than the very worst option that we might or one of the worst options that we might. And so it means something, especially when we're talking about people who are not around because it shapes people's understanding, especially if they don't know the person. So if I'm talking to Don about Rick and Don doesn't know Rick and his only knowledge of Rick is what I tell him, then that's going to shape his understanding of that person. And so we have to be really very mindful of that. And so what Paul's trying to do is saying, hey, these guys, I want you to know that they're faithful, they're beloved, they're, they're good men that you can trust. And so Paul's trying to communicate that. Um, because underneath whatever is thought about these men and one, underneath whatever is thought about Paul, these people are followers of Jesus. And so if we're communicating about people who profess faith in Christ in a way that doesn't show the best of them or elevate the best of them, that's not just a message about them. That's also a message about God. That's also a message about God. Because ultimately what should be shaping who we are is our relationship with Jesus. And so when we're communicating things about another person, we're not just communicating something about them, we're communicating something about the Lord. 
Now, some of us may be mature enough in our faith to go, well, I don't necessarily judge the Lord based upon his followers. Well, that's a high thought, so God bless you if that's your thought. But I'm going to let you know today that's not everybody's thought. And so when somebody's out in the world communicating about another Christian and they're not doing that in a way that highlights the best of them, their hearers that they're communicating to may begin to judge the gospel and may begin to judge not just the person, but judge who Jesus must be uh, based upon what's being communicated about uh, this, this person. That's a rabbit trail we could probably go way down about communicating about people, assuming the best of people. Um, but our time is short, so we'll stop there. And so that's what Paul's trying to do. He's communicating about these men, not only to highlight their character, but also to let the church know that you can trust the word they bring. You can trust that it comes from me, Paul, and you can trust the Savior that they communicate on behalf of. And so and then in verse 9, again, he notes Onesimus, the runaway slave, uh, Philemon's slave we've talked about before. He communicates him as faithful and beloved. So then jumping over to verse uh, 10, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So this is another person in prison with him. And Mark the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. And so Paul is um, communicating about these men who, based upon their names, are likely dedicated Jews who have become believers. And he communicates about them because at this time, the church is facing some difficulty. Christianity initially begins inside of Judaism, so it's just Jews who believe in Jesus, essentially. It's not noted as a separate religion. It's not an entirely different organization. These are people who just believe the Messiah has come. Here he is. It's Christ. But over time, they begin to be ostracized and ridiculed by other uh, Jewish people who don't believe Christ is the Messiah, and then over time they become an entirely different religion as we would understand it today. Well, these men that he's referring to in verses 10 and 11, they are Jewish people who still are probably more faithful adherents to traditional Judaism, but they're beginning to have... Um, an orientation towards the gospel as Paul's presenting it. And they're supporting Paul. They're encouraging Paul in his work. They're behind Paul. And so what Paul's trying to communicate is these men are in the majority and we're not, meaning Paul is not, and his adherents are not. These men have the power, and one of them's in jail, but we're talking socially. These men have the power, and we do not. And yet two of these men from this other camp have come to support us. Two of these men from this other camp have come to encourage us. Two of these men, three of these men from this other camp have come to look after us. And so... We've talked for a minute here about the message about communicating about people behind the scenes, talking to people about other people, et cetera. 
But let me ask you this question. When you seem to be on the inside of opposition, okay, so you seem to be in the majority on an issue where there's a minority, what do you think it does for the people in the minority when you reach across to them to try to encourage them and try to uplift them? What do you think that does for them? What's that? What's your well, so I'm asking when you try to encourage them. So, yeah, but yes, it does degrade them when you don't, right? When you diminish them, ridicule them. But what happens when you're in the majority and somebody's in the minority and you come across from the majority to the minority to encourage them and to reach out to them? What does it do for them, do you think? Depends on how stubborn they are. Okay, sometimes that's true, right? Yeah, right? Sometimes people don't want encouragement. Sometimes they resist it. Could make them feel good. Yeah. What else? It edifies them. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> right. Right. Sure. In the case of these men and Paul, by the way, they don't agree on every issue. The problem isn't that they're uniform in every matter. It's that they're unified. It's that they're unified. And so they're reaching across because they're trying to encourage, uh, encourage Paul and folks like him. And so then jumping into the close of our verses here, I really want to focus on um, 12 down. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remembering my, remember my chains, and grace be with you. And so Paul notes a bunch of other folks here that he's sharing encouragement from, sharing encouragement to, uh, same kind of concept. He's trying to uh, highlight folks, edify them, reach out to people who might have different perspectives on varying issues in order to keep them unified, not necessarily uniform. But he closes here with, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. And so he writes this, I write this in my own hands to uh, give the authority of his authorship. This is Paul speaking. He's an apostle, so what he says is a message from God. Ultimately, that will be uh, put into the Bible in, in due time. Remember my chains. He reminded he's in suffering. And that's a reality for Paul. Paul may be experiencing joy. It may be a wonderful thing that he's serving God's kingdom, et cetera. He's also in jail. So it's not like it's always easy, right? And so that's, that's true. God cares about our physical ailments. That's why when we come in here on Wednesday nights and have our prayer time, that it matters that we call out praise and prayer to God. Thank God for healing and pray over these matters of health. They're not the preeminent issue. People's salvation is what matters above all things. But God cares about our bodies. He gave us these bodies. He looks out for our physical needs. And so he 
calls us to call out to him in those things. And so Paul reminds them, the most important thing is the gospel is spread, but hey, I'm in prison, so that's tough. And continue to pray for me. And then he says, grace be with you, grace be with you. And this is what I want to close with tonight. Paul is praying that God's favor be known amongst the Colossian church. And he's communicated with them about how they can achieve that. And even in this brief section of the letter, we've already talked about that. He's talked about how this grace can be known if we assume the best of one another. This grace can be known when we communicate about each other, that we do so with the very best level of communication that we can muster in that moment. This grace can be known when we reach across to people who are different than us and find the places that we can be unified in, even if we're not uniform in that's certainly connected to our sermon on Sunday. For all of that prayer, for all of that truth, the way this church is going to experience the grace of God in these matters is if they're obedient. Because Paul can be praying grace for the church. Paul can be giving them clear instruction about how to experience grace. But the way they're going to experience the grace of God in their own lives and in the life of the church if the, is if they hear these instructions and they're obedient, and they're obedient. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for this night, for this time. I pray a blessing over each of us as we consider these matters of communication, of community, of unit, unity in the life of the church. And God, as we call upon uh, you to give grace to us and grace to our lives and even grace to our church, God, we ask that you help to stir in us a desire to be obedient to you obedient to your word, to cling to your scripture as the source of all guidance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.